Good morning, church. We are continuing in our series, uh, which is looking at the theme of Thanksgiving. <clears throat> and we are, it's always a bit, bit disconcerting when you stand up and see a load of people leaving. <laughs> that's just the youth going to, that's what I'm telling myself anyway. Uh, <laughs> continuing in our, our theme of Thanksgiving, and today we're, we're in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. So I'll read those now. Luke chapter 9, and starting to read at verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him, and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them and spoke to them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the twelve came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging because we are in a remote place. <clears throat> he replied, you give them something to eat. And they answered, well, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go out and buy food for all of this crowd, about 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everybody sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to set before the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. Shall we pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to come into your house and gather around your word. Lord, we thank you for the privilege we have to do that this morning. We ask now, Lord, that as we consider this passage, we ask that your Holy Spirit will be present amongst us to open our understanding that each one of us, Lord, may draw closer to you this morning through your word, in your precious name. Amen. So then, this is the, uh, the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. And uh, interestingly, it's the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all tell us this story. By way of a little bit of background to the passage that we read. If you go back to the beginning of chapter 9 and verse 1, we read that Jesus had actually sent the 12 apostles out. He'd sent them out on their own and told them to go out into nearby villages and teach and preach and heal people. And we read in verse 6, they went out and they went from village to village, preaching the gospel and healing people everywhere. And then we get to the passage that we've just read in verse 10. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. Now, if you read the accounts in the other Gospels, I'm not sure this is working. Is this working? No, I'll, I'll switch it off then. I'll stay here. I'm all right? Okay. So I do, I do tend to wander about a bit, as you know. Um, 
So the apostles have been out on their own and they've been preaching and teaching and they've come back and obviously they're keen to report back to Jesus how they did. And it says here that they withdrew to a town called Bethsaida. And if you look in the other accounts, it actually says that they went to a remote desert place which was outside of the town of Bethsaida. Later in the passage that we read, the disciples said to Jesus, you know, we need to send the people out to find food because we're in a remote place. So what had happened is the apostles had come back from this mission. They'd been sent out on their own. And they reported back to Jesus how it had gone. And it's a, it's, it's, it's a fair assumption, therefore, from the text that Jesus now wanted to spend some time with them alone to, to if you like, to debrief, to let them tell him what they'd seen, what they'd encountered, things that had gone well, things that had gone badly, and an opportunity for him to listen to them and minister to them. And he obviously wanted to do this in a quiet place because everywhere he'd gone, there were crowds of people. So we're told quite specifically in these four accounts that Jesus took them away to a remote desert area. So loads of crowds spotted them and followed them. And that leads us on to look at, I want want to basically consider this passage and look at what Jesus did and how he did it and look at four things. I want us to see his compassion I want us to see Jesus' timing. I want us to see his gratitude, his thanks. And then I want us to see his provision. His compassion, his timing, his thanks, his provision. Only four things, so we won't be here too long. Firstly then, his compassion. So we've seen that it's a fair assumption from the fact that the apostles had come back Jesus withdrew with them to a remote desert place that he now wants to spend some quality time, if you like, alone with his disciples to go through what had happened in the previous week. But we read that somebody had seen them go and followed them. And then word must have spread and more and more people came and crowds went. And so crowds followed them. And so now, in this remote desert place, you don't just have Jesus and the 12 disciples. You've got Jesus, the 12 disciples, and up to 10,000 people. It's referred to as the feeding of the 5,000. But we're told in this passage that there were about 5,000 men. Now, there would have been women and children as well, and some scholars think there may have been 10,000 people there. So suddenly, if you like, the plan to have a quiet, intimate debrief has, has been disrupted because thousands and thousands of people are now crowding into this remote desert place. <clears throat> I'm sure each of us are familiar with that time where we think we've carved out a little bit of time, a little bit of quiet me time where we can come aside from the things of the world and just spend a bit of time on our own. And then suddenly the phone rings or we get a text or somebody comes around or there's something that we've got to do. And if you're anything like me, our initial, your initial instinct or your initial reaction when that happens might be to be a bit irritated. Oh, you know, I really... Do I have to go and do this now? Do I have to talk to this person now? Sometimes we can feel a little bit like that when we've got our day planned, we're organized, and suddenly something pops up and there's something we need to do. And that can be a little bit annoying. 
Well, when we look at Jesus in this story, and we look at Jesus' compassion, we see his compassion reflected in the way that there is no suggestion anywhere in this passage that he was annoyed or irritated, that his plan to spend time with the disciples had been disrupted. There's no suggestion anywhere that he didn't, he, he didn't say to these people who were crowding in, look, do you mind? Can you give me some time? I've been with you all week. Come back tomorrow. Now's not convenient. Nothing like that. He could have sent them away because he was busy and he did have things to do. And you know what? They were important things that he needed to do. He needed to spend time with the disciples to talk about their experiences of going out on their own, preaching and teaching. But we don't read that Jesus sent the people away because he didn't send the people away. And in fact, when we look at his compassion, we see it reflected in the fact that not only did he not send the people away, the passage actually says, in verse 11, the crowds learned about it and followed him. He welcomed them. He welcomed them. His compassion for these people was such that not only did he not send them away when they intruded on his time, but he welcomed them. And that's a lesson perhaps and an example for us and for the compassion that we should extend to others. The opportunity, if people want to spend time with us, it's an opportunity for us to minister to them, to give something to them, to help them. Yes, it intrudes upon our time, and yes, it may intrude upon our plans. But true compassion recognizes the need in those people and doesn't send them away, and instead ministers to them. Jesus' compassion is also reflected in the fact of his response when the disciples came to him later in the day. He'd been preaching and teaching and healing, say, 10,000 people, and it's now getting on in the day, and the disciples come to him. And the disciples are showing some compassion here. They're now concerned about the people in the crowd. And they come to Jesus and say, Lord, we, I think you should, you should call, this, call this to an end now. Let the people go so they can go down into the town or, and find some food or somewhere to stay. The disciples realize that these people now had a, a physical need. They would need to eat something. And really, the response of the disciples, you can't, you can't criticize the response of the disciples. They were concerned about the people. And they thought it through in human terms and thought, well, how do we solve this problem? And they said, you know what we can do if we disband, we break this meeting up now, they've got time, it's still light, they can go into the town, you know, and, and fend for themselves and find some food. But the depth of Jesus' compassion was such that he said, no, don't send them away. You give them something to eat. They need food. You're here. Don't send them away. Give them some food. The compassion of Jesus was such that he would not allow these people to go and have to fend for themselves. They had a need, and he was going to minister to that need right now. You know, this church is, in my view, a remarkable illustration of that compassion. 
Because for however many years, 25, 30 years, this church has not just talked about the plight of the homeless. This church has physically fed homeless people twice a week for so long. And in my experience of different churches I've been involved in, I've never come across that before. It's a remarkable, remarkable work and a remarkable witness that this church has maintained for so long. So we see Jesus' compassion. He's not irritated at all by these people coming and disrupting his plan. And you know, we have no idea about the extent of the impact upon the lives of those people from Jesus spending time with them that day. No idea of what the impact was on an individual basis. And we have no idea what the impact was of those people talking to other people about what Jesus had done for them. You see, this this question of time spent is something we don't think about very often. And I don't think sometimes we understand the power of quality time. When my son was five years old, I was at home one evening and I was in my study working. I got some work to do, legitimate work. I was very busy and I needed to get this work done. But at about 5.30 in the evening, he, he opens the door to my study and he's put his soccer kit on and he's got a ball. He said, Dad, could we go and play football? And I was busy. I'd got a plan, I'd got work I needed to do, it had to be done that evening. And so I said, Jack, I'm sorry I can't tonight, I'm just too busy, I've got to finish doing what I'm doing, we'll we'll play another time. And he said, okay. And he he went out. And after about five minutes I thought, no, that's that's not right, I I can spend, I can afford to spend ten minutes, so I, I went up and I found him. And we went outside and we kicked a ball around for 10 minutes. 10 minutes, that's all. And about three months later, Stephanie and I go to the parents' evening at at his school. And at parents' evening, you see all of the paintings they've painted and you can read their workbooks and things. And um, in his workbook, I was just sitting there, you know, flicking through it. And they'd been asked to write a story about something really great and exciting that they'd done. And there in his book, he'd written about how he'd played football with me. And it makes me cry even now. It makes me cry even now because I, could, I so nearly didn't go out. Because I was busy. I was busy, and I had things that I needed to do. And when you look at that little 10 minutes... Really, in my life, that little 10 minutes was insignificant. But I realized when I read his exercise book that in his life, at that age, that 10 minutes was massive. It was massive. So we have, we have no idea of the value of spending time with people. And that, that's what we see here in Jesus' compassion. It was as much as anything, it was the time that these people got to spend with Jesus. And so we need to understand that as Christians, 
in a, with, with a witness in a difficult world, in a busy world where things are going on. We have no idea of the impact that just spending a bit of time with somebody, giving of ourselves, helping them out, chatting, asking how they've got on this week. We have no idea of the power of that witness as Christians. Jesus' compassion. Then we see his timing. And what I mean by timing is this. I took a bit of a liberty and I changed the title today. I changed it to a time to give thanks. And the reason for that is I look at the timing of when Jesus gave thanks in this story. Because put yourself in the position of the disciples. You're worried about these 10,000 people who need to eat. And so you've analysed it and you think, well, the best thing to do is to send them away to get some food, look after themselves. And Jesus says, no, no, you're going to feed them. And so they look at what food they have and they've got... They've got Five loaves and two fish. 10,000 people. And they bring the five loaves and the two fish and give it to Jesus. And we read here that he took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up to heaven and he broke the food and he gave thanks. Now, in the house I grew up in, we used to say grace all the time before we ate. You know, and, and, and to give thanks for the food. But we always said grace when the food was already on the table. You know, and we were giving thanks for the food. We could see the food, we'd all got the food, and we gave thanks for the food. But what's interesting about the timing of Jesus giving thanks in this story is that from a human perspective, when Jesus gave thanks for the five loaves and the two fish, they hadn't been broken yet, they hadn't been distributed yet, and in human terms, they were not enough. You could have asked anybody present that day before Jesus gave thanks, is this enough food to feed 10,000 people? Everybody would have said no. So how can you give thanks when you know it's not enough? And that's the question for us, I think, this Thanksgiving season. Because in human terms, it was not enough. But Jesus gave thanks because he knew that once it had been committed to God, it would be enough. It would be multiplied and it would be enough to feed everybody there. So I'd say to anybody today who's worried that what they have isn't enough, whatever that might mean in terms of finance, food, health, family, whatever, if you're worried going into this Thanksgiving week, that what you have is not enough for the challenges that you face. Take a bold step of faith like Jesus did and give thanks today for what you have. Because the lesson from this story is if you take what you have, even though it's not enough, and you commit it to God and ask him to bless it, then guess what? It will be enough. 
He'll take what you've got and he'll multiply it and he'll extend it and it will be enough. It's a brave thing, isn't it, to give thanks when you think in human terms you don't have enough. But that's what Jesus did because he knew it would be enough. And so that should be an encouragement to anybody this morning who's feeling for whatever reason that what you have is not enough. Because if you commit it to God, it will be. And then Jesus gave thanks. He gave thanks. He gave thanks for the bread and the fish. But I think he gave thanks for more than that. I think he gave thanks for the fact that he knew God was going to bless it and multiply it and that it would be enough. I think he gave thanks not only for what he had, but for what he knew God was going to do with it. And that's, we can all do that. We may not feel we've got the ability to do much in God's kingdom, but we have. We could give thanks today <coughs> for what good God could do through us. I think Jesus gave thanks as well for the people who were there. It may not have been the original intention, certainly not of the apostles, for 10,000 people to show up to their private time with Jesus. But here these people were. I think Jesus gave thanks for these people. I think Jesus gave thanks for the opportunity to minister to these people, to bless these people, to, have it, to improve their lives, to look after them. I think he gave thanks for all of those things. It's not easy, and I'm not saying for one second that it's easy. When we think we don't have enough, it's not easy to thank God for what we have. But it's what Jesus did here. It's what Paul wrote about in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. Give thanks in all circumstances, not just in good circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances. Why? Because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And then lastly, we see God's provision as these people are fed. And there's two elements to this provision, I notice. There's the efficiency of God's provision and there's the abundance of God's provision. Efficiency, what do I mean by that? I hadn't noticed before, until I was studying this, that before Jesus feeds the people, he says to his disciples, now go out and get everybody to separate themselves into groups of 50. Now that would not have been easy. Because if there's 10,000 people there, 12 apostles, you've got to move amongst 10,000 people and get them to split themselves up and arrange themselves into groups of 50. Why did he do that? I don't know. Perhaps it was, it was going to make it easier, logistically, to distribute the food if everybody's in nice, orderly groups of 50. Perhaps it was also that, you know, if there's 10,000 people and, and, and all the food comes out, people might have rushed for it and some people might have worried they might not be able to get some and so there might have, people might have fallen, there might have been a fight. Who knows? It made sense to separate the people into 50s and so that's what they did. And it made me smile thinking about this this week because, you know, if that happened today, I think it'd be very difficult to get people to separate into groups of 50. People seem today far more concerned about, well, why, why? Why do I have to get into groups of 50? I don't like being in a group of 50. I, I prefer to be in a group of 35. Other people might have said, well, hang on, you, you, you can't tell me to get into a group of 50. 
I've come here to listen to you preach. I haven't come here for any rules about standing in groups of 50. I'm sure there'd have been the odd conspiracy theorist who would have said, well, I read on the internet somewhere that if you stand around in groups of 50, you get arthritis when you're 72. But the point is, they got into the groups of 50. And sometimes I think, you need to go along to get along. I find that this world we're living in at the moment, people seem to almost thrive on friction. On, on arguments, on fights, on disagreements, on stamping their foot and pointing their finger. We see it on social media. I was looking on Nextdoor this week. I'm sure you're all familiar with Nextdoor. The app, it lets you know what things are around in the area. It's a really useful app. But I was looking at it and people were just fighting. You know, somebody would say something and there were 72 comments and they're fighting about some nonsense. And, and they're, they're spending time you know, typing away and, and getting angry and getting worked up. And uh, it seems to be something that's getting worse and worse and worse in the world that we live in. And I think as Christians, you know, we're supposed to be happy. We're supposed to be joyful. You know, we're supposed to be outgoing people. We are supposed to be the light of the world. We're supposed to attract others to us. And so I think as Christians, we need to disconnect sometimes from that friction and that mindset that the world has where you've got, to be, you've got to be constantly fighting or arguing or challenging. Somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago about three gates that you should make sure you can navigate before you say something. And I think it applies to typing as well. Because <laughs> that's what we all spend so much time doing. And they said, before you say anything to anybody... Can you navigate these three gates? First one, what you're about to say, is it true? If it's not true, you've got no business saying it. If you don't know whether it's true, you probably haven't got any business saying it. The second one is, is it kind? That's a tough one. Before you say anything to anybody, ah, what you're going to say to them, is it kind? Was it hurtful? Is it said in anger? And the third one was, is it necessary? And that's a good one, isn't it? Is it necessary to say what I'm going to say? Is it necessary to sit down and type what I'm going to type? Lastly, we'll close with this. Because this is the really good stuff. And that is we see the abundance of God's provision. Because Luke tells us that they broke the bread and the fish and the disciples distributed it out to the people. And everybody had more than they could eat. In fact, there was so much that they got 12 baskets full of scraps. 12 baskets full of scraps. Why is that detail in that story? That detail is in that story because God wants us to know that if we commit to him... He can provide for us over and above what we could possibly imagine. Whatever challenge or issue you're concerned or worried about today, you give it to God and commit it to God, He can deal with it in a way you could never begin to imagine. He can bless you in ways that you can never imagine. The Bible talks about pressed down, running over. That's the extent to which God wants to bless us. 
That's the extent to which he blessed these people. He didn't send them to fend for themselves. And so as we close, if you are a Christian this morning and you're struggling with something and you worry that you don't have the ability, the money, the time, the energy, the resources to deal with the things that you're facing. The good news for you is <coughs> that if you will commit it to Jesus, commit what you have to him, he will take it and multiply it and bless you abundantly more than you could ever imagine. He will not leave you to fend for yourself. These people had given up their day and their time and they traveled to a remote desert place because they wanted to hear Jesus. And because they'd made that commitment, they had put themselves in human terms in a place where they hadn't got food, they were far from home, it was starting to get dark. And the disciples said, you should go into the town and basically fend for yourselves. Jesus said, no. These people have committed to me. They've committed to spend time with me. And so I will not allow them to have to fend for themselves. And if you're a Christian this morning, you do not have to fend for yourself. Whatever your challenge is, God wants you to give it to him and commit to him and he will deal with it. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you're here and you don't know, you don't have a relationship with Christ, and you're worried or concerned about things going on in this world in which we live, the same promise is available to you. And you know, the interesting thing is that the, people, the disciples were going to send the people off to the town to buy food. The food Jesus gave them was free. Didn't depend on how much money they had or what talents or ability they had. Anybody who wants to come to Christ is accepted and will be brought in to that group who he will never leave to fend for themselves. So let's remember that in this Thanksgiving season. Let's give thanks for what we do have. And trust God to deal with what we think we might need. Commit to him. Let's remember his compassion. Let's show that compassion ourselves in the way in which we live our lives. And let's commit our lives to him. And then let's just enjoy the fact that he will never leave us to fend for ourselves. Shall we pray? Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you, Lord, because you love us so much. We can't understand why you would love us so much, but Lord, we thank you and praise you that you do. If there's anybody here this morning, Lord, anxious or struggling or worried, we just ask that you would draw them to you. Let them know and understand that you will never leave them to fend for themselves. That if they commit to you, Lord, you will bless in ways they could never begin to imagine. In your precious and worthy name, amen.